frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. When you see the girl in the picture that was shown to you earlier today, you will say, this is the girl. The rest of the cast can stay. That's up to you. But the choice for that lead girl is not up to you. Now, you will see me one more time if you do good. You will see me two more times if you do bad. Good night. Hello there, and welcome to Film Church Radio, the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday, I'm Lewis. And I'm Brandon. And we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Brandon and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. This week, I picked Mulholland Drive from 2001. Both Brandon and I have seen a few Lynch films here and there, but this has been an oversight for both of us for quite some time. Um, I know it's pretty celebrated um, and thought as one of the greatest films of all time by many people. So stay tuned to hear what we think about it. Um, If you want to know what we're going to be watching next week, um, listen to the end of the episode and Brandon will be telling us all. Uh, Can't wait for that. Before we jump into the films, though, as always, we'd like to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show. Um, If you're new, hello. Welcome to the show. Glad that you picked this one. It should be a good conversation. But we have all of our 81 other episodes streaming um behind us so go and check those out there's some great seasons we did one on Sergio Leone we did one on Stanley Kubrick we've done some one-off episodes on um, recent releases such as Morbius and Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse um so you can go and check those out too and we also invite our friends to come and share the love of film church the last episode that we did was with Mitch who's a good friend of ours um and it was a great conversation so go and check that one out as well um, surprise, surprise, as a film church, we do post episodes on Sunday, so that's when um, to look out for new episodes, and we do it every single week. We never miss a week, so you'll never be sad on Sundays that there's not a new film church episode. It's going to be there. We promise you that. Um, you can find us on all social media platforms at Film Church Radio as well. Um, please leave us a comment, send a message about the show. We'd love to know what you're thinking. Um, what you make of the films we're watching as well. Film is subjective. We want to know what you think too. So please, please let us know. Please. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Before we discuss the film, we go into our hymn section. This is a part of the show where Brennan and I talk about other films that we've been watching this week um, and sing the praises or don't of certain (laughs) films. Looking at your first film that you're going to talk about, Brandon, I don't think we'll be singing many. Um, So yeah, Brandon, what have you been watching? Um, a few things been in and out of the movie theater and then catching up on some other movies. Yeah. Um, so one of them was Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania, which I won't talk about too much. I mean, we've talked a lot with Mitch last week, a lot about superhero movies in our trailer slash him section. If people want to hear all the superhero catch up stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I gave it two out of five. It was not great, and there wasn't a ton to love. I mean, I I might give it another chance, you know, once we yeah. get down the line and and learn a little more about Kang, maybe, and just to like go back and be like, what was that about again? 
you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but I was like dozing off and just like, I don't understand why all of these movies have to have like, uh, just a huge battle sequences between two sides that we don't like, you know, there, there's just, you know, the wide shot of all the tiny little people on one side and tiny people on another side. I, I mean, tiny as in like the, you know, it's a wide shot yeah. <laughs> and like, but I guess they are in the quantum realm. So they are yeah. tiny, <laughs> but you know, just two sides of people like running at each other and fighting. And it's just like, I don't care about this. Like, can we yeah. just like have a story? Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, and they had to do that at the end of uh, you know, the Black Panther sequel. What was it called? Wakanda Forever. Yeah, Wakanda Forever. Um, yeah, they did that again at the end with on the ship and stuff, and it was just yeah. like, okay. I mean, I I want I care about these characters. I want to know what's going on with the story, but I don't need like every climax to be this big battle between two sides like can we just move on Mm -hmm. from that like plot device yeah in all of these blockbuster movies it's not just superhero movies no no it's not yeah um so yeah it was not a lot lot for me to love there unfortunately i do like at the beginning the thing is like the trailer was good Trailer was way better than the movie. And I like the guy, I, I don't know the actor's name, but the guy in like the first scene when uh, Ant-Man goes and gets a coffee or whatever, and the guy's like, um, thanks, Spider-Man, you know, that yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. He's in uh, He's in the sketch show, I Think You Should Leave, on Netflix, and he's super funny in that. So it was like funny to see him in the movie, and that's like one of the, funniest parts of the movie but it's also in the trailer so like when you see the movie it just it's not no. funny anymore you no. know? yeah um it, it's weird because it's like you know these moments of a movie that could that you know could make the movie good but because you've already seen them it's not helping no. make the movie good if that yeah. makes sense no it does yeah so anyway, um, I also rewatched The Evil Dead, uh, five out of five. It's one of the greatest movies ever. I mean, we talked about it a few yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, just so good. Every time I watch it, it's just like I can't. I can't believe that they made a movie this good on such a low budget. You know, yeah. and it's like one of their. I mean, they did a lot of stuff together before the movie, so it's not like the first thing they ever did together, but. Um, I think that's the difference between like using filmmaking as practice and then realizing, okay, now I'm going to actually make my first feature and make it really, really good. Yeah. Um, and putting everything into it. Um, I did watch Vengeance finally, which I know you really liked and, uh, have been wanting me to see from 2022. Um, my gosh, I'm blanking on the actor's name from The Office. Uh, B.J. Novak. Yeah, B.J. Novak wrote and directed it, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, I liked it a lot. Like the, all the Texas stuff was really funny. Um, it it was a little bit like, 
I don't know. It was a little bit like an outsider writing Texas mm-hmm. stuff, but it was still like on point. You know, it was yeah. still really funny. Um, and uh, you know, I'm gonna rewatch it. Like a lot of, I know a lot of people that like this movie. Like, um, Sarah's brother, like it's like his favorite movie right now. Mm. Um, and he's like always talking about it and sh- <laughs> sharing it with people. Yeah, and. uh I I think he really liked the ending, but I wasn't super hot on the ending. Okay. Um, just because I didn't feel I get I get what he was going for. Um, and this is gonna get into spoilers, so if you haven't seen Vengeance, you know, plug your ears or skip for it a little bit. Yeah. But I uh, and I'll try to keep it a little tame, maybe. But I just didn't see the the motivation leading up to that final scene yeah where he like pulls the trigger Mm -hmm. it's like it it felt very out of left field which i know you want that in a moment like that a little bit but also it it didn't i i feel like there is a difference between you know a character doing something noble or whatever Yeah. yeah or doing something you know drastic or doing something out of character and someone just straight up like murdering someone. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay, like we probably should have seen a little more of like a psychotic breakdown first. Yeah. You know, like I just didn't have any hints of like, this guy would definitely kill someone. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Um so I, you know, it was four out of five. I still really like the movie. I have to watch Good. it again, and 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 maybe it'll make more sense, and I'll be like, oh, actually, that does that does work really well. Yeah, I don't know. Got to got to watch it again. Only watched it once, um, but that's kind of where I was at with it. Mm. Um, what about you? I I know it's been like a year since you watched it, and you went and saw it in theaters. But do you have any? Yeah, uh, I think. I think it resonated because obviously being an outsider living in Texas, there was a lot of things in there that, you know, made me smile and kind of I could appreciate a lot, you know, the the Texans um love of Whataburger was yeah. definitely part of it that I was like, Yep, that is correct. Um yeah. but yeah, I think probably I mean, same as you, I think that it it kind of it wrote itself into a bit of a corner where the character you know, the lead character had to do something that was meaningful or had to like, you know, get to a conclusion. Um, and the only way to do that was, you know, I think it was written to a point where that was the only way that he could come out and still be, you know, it couldn't mean something. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it just felt, it just felt like such a leap for me as a viewer to be like, to accept that that character had reached a point that he would yeah. do that. Yeah. Um. I think, like I said, like I said, if we had seen a little more beforehand, or if we had seen maybe um the other character, I'm trying not. I'm trying to yeah, keep away. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm already spoiling stuff, but you know, if if the other character that gets killed at the end, if we had seen more of like, oh yeah, he's super super evil. I mean, he he did seem evil, but like you know what I mean, like just something yeah. where it was like. He deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. A little more. But, yeah. you know, I don't know. Um, I'm picking it apart. I still yeah. really love the movie, like I said. Four out of five. And mm. um, 
and the Whataburger stuff was really funny and very <laughs> quotable. It's like when I yeah. drive by Whataburger now, I'm like, it's right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah. Let's let us know what you, you guys think of the the ending of Vengeance. You know, does it feel forced or does it does it seem uh, justifiable yeah. in some way? Does it make sense? Yeah. Um, it's because it's literally like within the last five to ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so that was that, and then I also watched Fast X from this year. <laughs> in the cinemas wow um i gave it two and a half out of five we went um when did we go we went sometime last week uh sarah got off work a little early and we went at like an 11 p.m showing mm-hmm. um and there were still quite a few people in the theater on like a it's like a wednesday night or yeah. something or tuesday night and um yeah definitely not my favorite of the fast and furious franchise but um i mean i've said this lots of times on the show like the fifth one is the peak for me Mm -hmm. um so you know it kind of goes downhill forwards and backwards from there (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah you know there with a lot of these movies the endings of them have been like, and that's the end question mark, (laughs) you know, because it's like, they, they actually end every time. Mm -hmm. But then in the next one, they're like, actually this, this person (laughs) was in the background in this four movies ago that you never saw and is (laughs) coming back for them. (laughs) And it's like, okay, whatever, you know, I'll go along with it. But it's getting, it's just, it's just stretching so thin now. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think this one was a bit better than the last one, I think. I don't yeah. really know. They're all starting to blur together. Jason Momoa was super bizarre at first in the movie. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah. But then, and, and a lot of people I've heard don't like it, but like, it was weird at first, but then like, I just kind of like, you know, leaned into it as he was leaning into it. It was like, this is actually kind of, kind of entertaining and pretty great. And, um, and I really enjoyed his performance as it, as it went on. It was like, okay, this is, this is keeping me interested in the movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked him, but, uh, but then the ending of the movie is the first one where it, it, it it literally ends on like a cliffhanger mm. kind of like spider-verse yeah not quite as well written but <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be a two-parter and i was joking around with sarah i don't know if they'll do this or not but it would be to me would be hilarious if like they turned the fast x into like a trilogy and the next next one was just like fast double x and then the last yeah. one was fast triple x <laughs> just so he could blend his yeah. two like you know yeah, big franchises. movies yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and it's like that was him the whole time same person it is the most infuriating sequence of films for titles yeah i just have no idea 
which one is what. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and um, you know, I, I, kudos if I, I read somewhere that it may be con, uh, maybe like due to where the rights are that they can make the films, but they can't do like Fast and Furious one, Fast and Furious two, Fast and Furious three, or something uh, like that. Maybe. So they have to kind of keep. It can't. You can't have Fast Five followed by Fast Six. It needs to be Fast Five followed by something that's not a number. If that makes sense. Yeah. But still, it's very annoying. Yeah. Because it's just all over the place. Um, and there's an English critic that I like that calls it Fast Ten Your Seatbelts. Yeah. <laughs> which is really good. I saw that in a comment somewhere a few years ago too. And yeah. I was like, that would be amazing. <laughs> Fast Ten Your Seatbelts. <laughs> uh um yeah i mean i'm sure i'm gonna rewatch all these at some point yeah but yeah i mean they're kind of fun yeah you know but yeah. if i am just gonna rewatch one it's gonna be fast five and you don't really i don't think you even really have to have seen any of the other movies to mm. to enjoy them i think um because like, because what what's gonna happen is you're gonna try to watch rewatch them, and and try to see if it makes sense, and it's not going to anyway. No. no. So you're gonna be just as confused as far as the plot and story goes, no matter if you jump in blindly, <laughs> or if you try to watch them all in order. So yeah. Um. Yeah, if you're gonna watch one, go watch Fast Five, and spoilers. Um. The Rock is coming back. Oh yeah, because he he had a didn't he have a bit of a fallout with yeah. um, Vin Diesel? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So and then I, Black Adam bombed, and he was like, <laughs> maybe what, I'll go back to the franchise. Yeah, that's what people are saying. Yeah. But um. All right, fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> uh, so that was me. What have you been watching? So after our shine episode. Um, <laughs> I went back and I watched A Place in the Sun from 1951, also directed by George Stevens. Yeah. Um, I talked about it a little bit. On is it the a show. Western? It isn't. It's um, it's kind of like a melodrama. It's um, Elizabeth Taylor um, just being the most incredible person in the world. Um, and it was it's made in 1951, so I think Shane was after this. I'll have to double I think check so. on the date. I think Shane was like 54 or 53 or something. Yeah. Um, and then Montgomery Clift is in it as well. Um, and it's about a guy that kind of goes, he goes to work for his uncle and like they're like, don't date any of the workers. And he immediately starts dating one of the workers and then falls in love with Elizabeth Taylor. And it's kind of like, you know, it kind of, the drama goes from there. Yeah. Really. Um, it's incredibly well lit i mean it's some of the most um beautiful kind of shots i've seen for a while in classic hollywood you know the most of it is born out of necessity to try and get around the production code because there's a lot of like extra um like outside of um marriage relations going on um so they're always kind of in the shadows or like behind doors and stuff like that um but it kind of works for the plot um and it's got a very satisfying conclusion as well for the time. Um, and I've seen it a few times. I know that I've mentioned it last time, but it is creeping up my list of films that I really, really love. Um, and ones that I kind of would go back to and just kind of enjoy watching it any time. Um, and it's, I think it's on Criterion Channel right now. It's part of their 
uh, method acting section that they've got up at the moment. Yeah. So if you are looking for a film to watch, I would recommend a place in the sun if you've got Criterion Channel. I get five out of five. I think it's great. Sweet. Yeah. Maybe he, George Stevens is best if you are so inclined. Yeah. Um, and then we did something crazy for the first time. We took my daughter to the cinema. Whoa. Yes. It yeah, has, I saw your pictures. And... Yeah, we've been talking about it for a while. Um, and we were like, okay, we need to kind of, you know, figure this out. And then one day we were like, let's just go and see Little Mermaid. Yeah, let's um, just do it. Yes. And this is the new live action 2023 version. Um, so we went to like a screening and we were like, just be prepared to leave if she's not enjoying it. If it's too loud, we can just go. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, Alamo do the kid-friendly screenings. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of other kids in there her age, which helped. Because yeah. she was a bit more kind of like, okay, like everyone else is being quiet. I'll be quiet. Um, but she did me very proud. She sat you know, quietly through the whole thing. She enjoyed it a lot. Um, and we had a good time. Um, the film itself, I think, as the remakes go, it's, you know, it's the higher up the list of good remakes that they've yeah. done. Um, when I say good remakes, I mean, you know, remakes that we don't need, want. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but it's still there. Yeah. Um, the, you know, nothing beats the, the original songs. I think um, the the lead actress who plays Ariel is incredibly good. Her voice yeah. is great, um, does a really good job um, of kind of, you know, carrying that weight. And Melissa McCarthy is just channeling divine the whole time. Yeah. That's um, cool. Which is awesome to see. Yeah. Um, the new songs don't quite cut it. They're yeah. not as memorable. There's like Prince Eric gets a song. And I was just, while I was listening to it, I was like, I literally can't remember what the last word said. Like, it's so forgettable. Yeah. And he's just like, somewhere in the sea, there's someone I love or something. Like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and it's not, I mean, it not, it's not great um but it looks nice my daughter enjoyed it it's fine yeah has she been like obsessing over it has she been like i'm the little mermaid or like you know i mean she's always been a little bit like that because she's she's always loved the little mermaid and she does like being in the in the water so she you know she enjoys that side of it um we we put the soundtrack on every now and again you know um, with the new casting and the old songs, and she's enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, not kind of to the point of like, you know, she's obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, I always like wonder what my first cinema experience is like. Yeah. Or was like. Yeah. You know, I've shared like a few like random memories that I've had, but but yeah. I don't remember like what the movies were necessarily. So it's cool that you'll be able to tell her one day, like. So yeah, first and, movie, and I mean, I'm going to keep a list of everything that we go and see because the next film I'm going to talk about is another one that we went to take her to see. We, um, we, yeah, we decided that because she'd done such a good job, we were like, let's find another film that she'd like, and it coincided with Elemental, the new Pixar film. Um, oh, okay, being yeah. released. Yeah, so we went to see that as well. Um, again, she did really well and she enjoyed it. And she's, I mean, she's only three and a half, so yeah. You know, it's it's still kind of a big thing for us to be doing. Um, the film itself um, is it's okay. Yeah. I, I love Pixar. I always have, um, and some of you know they've given some of the best examples of like 
of I don't know coating like sugar coating tough subjects for yeah. kids mm-hmm. and just helping them get through it. This I, I read a review on Letterbox. I don't want to take credit for it, but this someone on Letterbox said that it's like a rough draft. The film, ah, like the the things are there in the script, you know, but it doesn't quite feel like it's been worked enough to be fully formed. Yeah. You know, they're dealing it's dealing with, you know, immigration and kind of families starting new lives in new cities and um and like multiculturalism. Love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's you know, a bit Romeo and Juliet like. Yeah. Um but it, it there's a lot of threads that don't feel fully formed. There's a lot of like plot contrivances that kind of come out of left field. You know. And when I think of Pixar, I think of like perfectly crafted yeah, exactly. stories, you know. Um, and it just wasn't quite that, which is a real shame. And it, it's it's sad because I know that the director, you know, it's not been doing great at the box office. And the director says, you know, fans are just hardwired now to be like, it'll be on Disney Plus soon. I don't need to go and see it. It'll be streaming soon. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, unfortunately is the case. And it just makes me even more upset that films like Turning Red and Luca didn't get the Yeah, exactly. Cinema it seems the, like they're kind yeah. of... Like what? Who's making the decision of like what's yeah. going in theater and what's going on Disney Plus? I, it's just the I know it's like, but I guess turning red and Luca, came, yeah, came out at time, yeah, like during COVID and stuff, yeah. Um, but they just I don't think that the marketing team just knew what to do with it. I don't. I've seen like a few trailers and posters and stuff, but they premiered it at Cannes which didn't go down too well. It's not a can movie. It That's doesn't so feel weird. Yeah, it doesn't you know, feel like it's that profound, you know, yeah. unfortunately. Um so word of mouth is just, you know, dropping and it's just going to disappear into obscurity unfortunately. What is going on with movies like that showing at can? Cuz I know they also showed <laughs> Indiana Jones. Yeah. I mean, they showed Top Gun, which is like, yeah. it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it just seems very, to me, it's like, is yeah. it, are they just paying to have it shown there? I assume, I think. For street I mean, you, cred? You might have hit with the Top Gun. I think with Top Gun showing and it legitimately being a really good film, that they're like, oh, we'll, we'll do that as well. And it will get more people to go see it. You know, because Top Gun did do really good business. Yeah. Um. And, but it's also, you know, what other films have these studios got? You know, they're not. It's we're they're not seeing, making you know, art necessarily. Yeah, exactly. It's not a, a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination. It's and and unfortunately, it means that it's just going. We're going to just go back to the characters and films that we already know. And we're just going to run those stories into the ground. There's yeah. going to be no new original ideas. Yeah. And from Pixar, who have always been really original. You know, it's 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 a real shame. Yeah, but I mean, I've as we've seen with like Sony Animation, like maybe it's time for another studio to kind of lead yeah. the way in animation for a bit. Yeah. Um, and Guillermo del Toro, you know, doing mm-hmm. his Pinocchio, and you know, yeah, saying that he's only going to work in animation now. So yeah, um. Yeah, uh, it's a shame. Disney, for me, have always been like the best at animation, the best at what they do. Mm-hmm. And it just seems that it's flagging. You know, it's yeah. not. I don't know. 
it's it i know it, it all stems flows, like yeah it all stems from the need for the amount of content that they're putting out yeah you know um so maybe these ideas don't have the chance to become fully formed yeah but you know well yeah i mean it's a changing and, and landscape like you said it's like if they're if they're putting out a ton of content you know then yeah. they then they're going to have like several different teams yeah making different things and like not all of them are going to i know i mean even the short the short ahead of elemental cuz pixar do like a short which is normally you know like new directors trying something a bit different you know we've had yeah. some really incredible shorts it was um it was Carl's date the um the character from up it was just like a short of him going on like a new date which is fine you know it's not terrible but it's like where where's the new voice like what you know yeah that sounds why just did like we a, give this to someone some random thing yeah. that would go on disney plus mm-hmm. like yeah instead of yeah instead of like a yeah trying to do something experimental or yeah because they had that whole series of the up shorts on Disney Plus, which were, you know, fine. You know, my daughter enjoyed them. They, you know, featured Doug heavily, which is great. Um, and it is just that again, but in, now in, you know, in the cinemas in front of a so new weird. release, it is very yeah. strange. They did something super weird when Coco came out and they had that like 45 to 50 minute um, special from Frozen mm. before Coco. And people were furious about that. Yeah. Like, because I was working at a theater when that happened. And of course, there was tons of stuff online about it, but people, I mean, it was the first, like, Disney, like, embracing um, Latin yeah. American culture or just Latin culture and, like... uh and so you know all of these fam and and it was a boy you know it centered yeah. around a, a a male um character uh and so all of these families are going out you know <laughs> you know and little boys excited and dad's excited and you know and i'm sure mom and sister are coming along too but like the movie quote unquote starts and they get 50 minutes of princess elsa yeah and <laughs> you know from frozen and they're all like what you know people are coming out of theaters like why are y'all playing the wrong movie yeah and it's like this is sorry this is you're gonna have to sit through this i can't if i try to restart it it's just gonna restart the whole thing and then you'll have to sit through it again (laughs) (laughs) um yeah just craziness so like you literally i was telling people you could show up 50 minutes late to the movie and not miss coco yeah yeah it was kind of crazy yeah. But I guess they didn't learn. Yeah. <laughs> and Coco is such a great example of like a recent Disney animation that really works. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Um yeah, I'm just I don't like it when I can tell that something's trying to make me cry. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Which I felt like the ending of Elemental was. You yeah. know, earlier they were like, "Hey, there's this thing in our culture that we do. Don't forget it." And then at the end, it's like, hey, remember that thing from earlier? Here it is. Cry. And yeah. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, not that I didn't like the film. I thought the film was fine. 
is just not up to the Pixar standards. Yeah. Well, with that, let's move in to our feature presentation. Mulholland Drive, 2001. An actress longing to be a star, a woman searching for herself. Both worlds will collide on Mulholland Drive. Blonde Betty Elms has only just arrived in Hollywood to become a movie star when she meets an enigmatic brunette with amnesia. Meanwhile, as the two set off to solve the second woman's identity, filmmaker Adam Kesher runs into ominous trouble while casting his latest project. As I said at the beginning, Brandon, this David Lynch is a director that both of us have had little exposure to, I would say. Yeah. Um, before we jump into the film, I did want to ask you what your relationship with Lynch is like. Um, kind of how do you perceive him, I guess? Um, yeah, I mean, the first movie I saw of his was, I think, Lost Highway, but that was, like, a long time ago. And mm-hmm. I... Um, I didn't know who he was at the time and the movie was super bizarre. Yeah. And, uh, I remember just being like kind of creeped out by the whole movie and just disturbed a bit, you know, yeah. and confused. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, you know, at the time I was just like, I don't know if I like this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I I think I've seen um I can't remember what what maybe the second of his films I saw but I I've definitely seen maybe more interviews with him than I have of his actual films and I like him as a person and as a you know just as a filmmaker you know yeah. the way that he talks about cinema and his process and and uh and other films and stuff it's it's always interesting to hear you know him talk about anything really and uh and then a few years ago i went back and watched eraserhead Mm -hmm. and i had a great time with that movie yeah that movie was so good have you seen it i have yeah i really enjoyed it um a lot and and that kind of yeah took David Lynch to a new level for me, where I was like, okay, I I really need to watch everything he's ever done, um, but I still haven't you know gotten around to it. I watched Blue Velvet not too long ago. I did talk about it on the show. I don't remember what episode, but I wasn't super hot on it. I was like, yeah. uh, I don't know if this is working for me, or or what the meaning behind it is, um. And and I kind of also feel that way about Mulholland Drive right now. Okay, yeah. You know, and um, it could be one of those things where later down the line, after I've watched more David Lynch and watched his movies a few times, that he becomes, like, my favorite director ever. You know, that can happen sometimes. Um, kind of like, I mean, Evil Dead, Sam Raimi. I mean, the first time I saw Evil Dead, I was like, yeah, it was good, but I don't, I don't know that I enjoy being creeped out so much. Yeah, you know. But now Evil Dead is like I fucking love it. I love <laughs> the tone. I love everything about it. Um, and there's parts of Mulholland Drive that I do like, and I kind of, 
after watching it the first time, I had to rethink what it was that I was trying to get out of the movie or, you know, whatever. Like, because yeah. the movie seems like it's going to lead to something it doesn't really. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. Who knows? And I don't know <laughs> if it matters, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. I don't know if it if it matters if it does or it doesn't. Um, the part of the movie that really I started to get excited was when um, the two guys are in the diner and then they're like, and there, there's this band mm. behind the diner or whatever. And then they walk back there. And then there's this super creepy shot of the guy like sliding out and yeah. sliding back. And at that moment, you know, I just get chills and I'm like, ooh, like, you know, like <laughs> that is super creepy and disturbing. Yeah. But I'm like laughing about it. And I'm like, all right, here we go. I don't know if I'm ready for this descent into this David Lynch world, but. Mm. I'm ready for it, and there wasn't ever anything else really like that in the movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I wanted more of that, because that's what Eraserhead was like to me. It's like, yeah. I didn't understand what any of it meant, but it was so, like, disturbing and, like, I'm kind of, like, giggling yeah. kind of way that it was just so enjoyable to me that I kind of want, I'm like wanting that out of every David Lynch movie now. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, and obviously the time frame of like when he made a razor head and like when he made Mulholland drive is a couple of decades, I think. So like, mm. you know, he's obviously um, changed a lot as a person and, and, you know, probably striving for different things as a filmmaker, or exploring different things, you know. I do appreciate that David Lynch is um, not doing anything else that anyone else is doing. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, well, what is it that people see in him that they're, like, giving him money to make these things? Mm. Uh, and not other people that are also maybe just as... Uh, different. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and it could be just him as a person. You know, I mean, he when you hear him talk about his stuff, he you know, it's not like he's, it's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. You know what I mean? And it's not exactly. like he doesn't have a plan, and he doesn't have reasons for uh, the choices that he's making. Yeah, you know. I think that exactly exactly that point there is that the the films that I've seen of Lynch, none of them, none of the weirdness seem forced. I you know yeah. you watch other films. I mean we've we've talked about like Holy Mountain and stuff like that, and there's certain things in there that I'm just like, what is this? You know? <laughs> Whereas with Lynch, yeah. I've, all of it seems to connect. I I text our friend Zach after I'd watched it, and I said. Like I gave him, you know, a few thoughts, and I just said that it feel when I've come out of it, I feel like it makes total sense, but I'm still at a loss to what it all meant. Yeah, it's that yeah. kind of dichotomy of like, like I understand what I, I feel like I know what he's trying to say, but I don't. Yeah, which exactly. is a really weird and like unsettling experience. And I do want to preface before we kind of get into talk about what certain things meant and stuff like that that with it being so open to interpretation the thoughts of two people that have just seen it for the first time may be very rudimentary. 
So if you yeah. are a lover of this film and you're like, well, duh, like we've only seen it a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Please, you know, yeah. give us a break. <laughs> well, and also I hope that you know people who do love this movie might might enjoy listening to us talk about it as first time listeners and and be able to remember. Oh yeah, I kind of like maybe thought yeah. that way when I first saw it too. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, and I think that Lynch himself is very against people like nailing it down. Being yeah, like, this is definitely what it what it's about. Yeah, um, Mark Kermode, the um, critic I was talking about earlier, has this great story where he was interviewing Lynch on stage and went into this long monologue of you know what certain things meant in his films, and then was like, "Is any of that close?" And Lynch was just like, "No." <laughs> yeah, and that was it. <laughs> so I think you know. All of these films are open for people to bring in and take away what they want. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, I saw an interview with Lynch where he was talking about films and he was like saying that film is like one of the only art forms that can be a dream. Yeah. Yeah. It can literally express something that a dream can express, but you can't express in words. It's like, you know, you feel so strongly a certain like when you're awake after a dream, you feel so strongly uh, a tone or mm-hmm. a, a moment or a thought that you had in a dream, but you can't exactly express it to your friend. Yeah. But you can if you make a film about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so when I watched it, uh, I watched it a few days ago and then I watched it again last night. And then when I watched it again, I kind of just looked at the movie as like, let's just pretend like this is my dream and like it made a lot more sense that way yeah that's Um, how i approached it the first time the first time that i watched it i was like this is not going to make much sense i'm anticipating um so i'm going to just let it wash over me and not think about it too hard yeah um and that's what i did and i think that i came away from it feeling better because as we've said i am on record (laughs) stating that i don't really enjoy surrealist like non-linear movies yeah so um yeah it's it's definitely better when you pretend it's a dream yeah exactly yeah and and two it's like there's so many there are a lot of different scenes going on um which like when i finished it the first time i was like i don't know like i in my mind remembering the movie it just all I could remember was Naomi Watts and Laura Herring just like in a room talking together. Yeah. But then like, that's not the whole movie, you know, it's like you go back and it like breaks it up pretty well to where, you know, it keeps it interesting with different scenes and stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, Billy Ray Cyrus is in this movie, you know, (laughs) it's like, you know, there's, there's other stuff going on, you know, Uh, there's like a, a assassin dude. You know, that like yes. kills these people and like, uh, <laughs> you know, this random stuff that, and you see that character come back a few times and I, I don't even think I recognized them, you know, the first time I watched it, you know, cause it was just, it felt like a lot to kind of try to keep track of. Yeah. But yeah. as I watched it again, the second time. I kind of maybe get what's going on, but I don't know if it matters. And I don't know what you're, I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to get, come away from the movie with, or if that matters. I don't know. (laughs) I think, you know, the, 
I mean, over. I mean, it's it's about Hollywood, like yeah. When you boil it down, it's about the land of dreams and the land of like you know failure, really. Yeah, you know, for all every person that we put on a pedestal, there's a hundred that didn't make it. Yeah, minimum, you know. Yeah, um, and I th- and I was doing some reading about it after I finished, and I think it was Roger Ebert that said like nothing in this film is true. It's all a dream or a memory. Yeah, and I was like, that's a good way to think about it. I think you know, it, it's a good way to kind of to not try and connect it all and be like, okay, well, where where does this fit in on the on the like? It's just doesn't matter. As you yeah, said, exactly, like, it doesn't yeah. like it's not a film that I think will benefit from being put in a linear structure. Yeah, at all. Um, I think that I mean, I had a. I came away from it pretty happy in terms of the fact that this was a film that I was worried about watching because I don't normally like this kind of cinema. But I came away being like, I don't think it was too weird that I had no idea what was going on. But it was just weird enough to bend my mind a little bit. I wonder if that's why this this film is thought of so highly. It's because it's very accessible. Compared to, you know, I know you were talking about um, the other films that you'd seen and how just incredibly weird they are. Yeah. Um, Lost Highway and... Yeah. So I do wonder if this is like so highly regarded because it's more accessible to the regular viewer. Hmm. You know. Well, um, and also Naomi Watts like in a yeah. like breakout performance. I mean, she had been around for a while, but this is like her first big leading role, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like, yeah. And she just kind of blew up after that. Like, she's incredible in yeah. the movie. And there's things in there that, especially with her performance, that make sense. Like, when she's first on, the notes I wrote down was she's very, like, wide-eyed. You know, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Like, pure and, like, just, you know, I just want to be a movie star, you know. But then when you look back on it at the end of the film, you're like, well, obviously, because it was like a dream. It was like an you know, an enhanced version of how she felt coming to LA. Yeah. You know, it was like, that's, it's all kind of, I don't know, everything feels that it was on purpose. You know, the things that I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that was done for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is the sign I think of like a really talented filmmaker. Yeah. So in the beginning that you've got Robert Forrester and Brent Briscoe. Is that how you mm-hmm. say his name? Yeah. Uh, which when Robert Forrester came on, I was like, yeah, Robert Forrester. <laughs> and then he's like in that one scene. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, but the, um, the, one of the, the Brent Briscoe character is like, we found this in the back, but like, <laughs> yeah. what is it? Can yeah. you tell what it is? Like, do you know? I don't, no, I don't know. Okay, so I don't know if it matters, but but then at the end, towards the end of the movie, after it's kind of flipped everything, and um, Naomi Watts is Diane Selwyn living in the house that they go in, you know, when they find mm-hmm. her dead body, um, the neighbor is like, "Oh, those two detectives came by." And it's like, wait a minute. Okay, so where the two, when the the two women go 
to the neighbor's house were they actually the Robert Forrester and Brent Briscoe characters. Mm. I don't know. You know, I was like, start, yeah. like I start to rethink a lot of this stuff. Like, wait, so who's what? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, I, we, like we said, it probably doesn't matter. And uh, Mr. Lynch, if you're listening to this, sorry that we're trying to figure all this out. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, uh, yeah, it's like, okay, Betty and Rita could be the same person. They could be yeah. the two sides of the coin of like the who she was when she first came to Hollywood versus who she became. And, you know, and then she kills herself at the end. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the two of them together could just be the split sides of her personality, trying to put the pieces together. Um, yeah. or it could be, you know, these two detectives, you know, in some scenes when they're going out, it could be the two detectives actually, uh, mm. tr tried to <laughs> maybe trying to repiece together the story themselves. Yeah, you know, maybe it's the actually the two detectives the entire time, like actually playing the scenes out, trying to figure out what happened to this woman. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And then you've got the um, Justin Thoreau character mm. throughout, which I'm curious what your interpretation of that is. I mean, I I think it's probably n not a lot deeper than what's there on the surface. And maybe some of David Lynch's own experiences, possibly. But yeah. um, it was interesting because I was listening to an interview with James Gunn yesterday, and I didn't really connect it until I was like talking to Zach about it uh, later. But like um, when I was watching this movie the first time, the Justin Thoreau director character, I was like, this kind of reminds me of James Gunn because he's got yeah. like the spiked hair and like the glasses and stuff um yeah so what did you what did you think of that whole side of it or like how do you think i mean i know you said it's like all about hollywood and stuff but yeah yeah i i, I liked it i like the fact that it shows that you know there's a lot going on there in terms of like film studies there's a lot of talk about the the director as you know an author it's like his vision come to life like he's the one that does everything and this kind of puts it to the plate that it's not really you know he's being influenced by other people on who to cast and they're, they're even setting it up like like he's acting right he's still doing the auditions and when he finds the girl he's got to say the line that's the girl or that's my girl or whatever yeah um so this you know even the the production of film is kind of scripted yeah you know um i like I like the scene where he goes back to the house and he finds his other half in bed with the pool guy. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and like taking a jewelry and pouring that vivid pink paint all over it <laughs> and um like coming away with it up his black suit and stuff. Yeah. It's very um it looks it looks awesome. You know, yeah. it's just like a visual on the screen. Um and also, yeah, I mean, he ends up, you know, dating Camilla Rhodes in the second portion. Which also talks to the kind of you know the influence men have, right? I mean, yeah, it's now that we've we've on the other side now. You know, we're twenty one, twenty two years later, and so much has come out about you know men in power influencing women. It now has like a certain tinge to it as well, for sure. Yeah, where it's like, is she doing this? You know, is she 
you know, fully on board? Is this just, you know, or oh, maybe this will help my career? Or is this influence from um, from Adam and other men that are high up in the industry taking advantage? But Camila Rhodes was the actress that they wanted, that the yeah. producers forced him to cast, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Diane Selwyn is the dead woman. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> What's going on um, with this movie? But yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I was trying to like piece another like story together, but I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like I I feel like I'm at this weird place where I'm like, is it good? Is it good? Like, am I saying it that it's? Am I trying to think that it's good because other people think it's good? Yeah, I mean, because I don't, I don't really know that. I, I think, think it's just, interesting, but I'm yeah. like, good. I think you've just got to go off your like gut feeling. I mean, I know how I felt when I like when the credits started rolling. I also put myself in an environment um, where I was going to, you know, give my all to it. I left. Um, I like closed all the shades. I turned the volume way up. I left my phone in another room. Yeah, you know, I was all alone. I was like, I'm going to give 100 percent of me to this film. Yeah, because I knew that I would potentially struggle. Yeah, just yeah, because that's me. So I knew how I felt when the credits were rolling, um, and I know that you know I haven't really stopped thinking about it since. Yeah, and I've been yeah. you know tracing down as much information as I can about it. Yeah, I know that I know that I'm gonna rewatch it with Sarah because she was saying that she's been wanting to see it. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll watch it together again. Um, and then maybe do that, like put our phones away and yeah, fully commit. Yeah. But I mean, what is undeniable to me is Naomi Watts. Like to me, yeah. like she is incredibly, like amazing in the movie. Um. I've always like really liked her though. Like I've always recognized like how good of an actress she is. Um, at least from, you know, at least since like the first thing I saw her in, which was King Kong Mm. 2005, uh, which is a movie I really, really like and really liked when I went to see it. I mean, I was 15 when I went to see it and, um, Everybody in that movie is great. I loved the pacing of the of of that movie, and a lot of people. It just seemed like everybody I wanted to be excited with the movie about. They were like, "Oh, that movie sucks," or like that movie is way too long, or like, yeah, you know. I I remember going to like a uh, uh like this film. Well, I went to like this Christian film festival. Uh, this was a couple of years after that and was sitting around a table with like some other young people my age because I was like 17 at the time and they were talking about like what what do you think the best CGI in any movie is and I was like King Kong and they're like oh no like CGI in that movie sucks but they were like saying Transformers was the best CGI and I was like oh. of course like yeah. you're talking about like apples and oranges metal Metal material. Of course you can fucking make that look amazing. Like King Kong is full of like organic life. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> like forests and trees and like insects and animals and stuff yeah. and it's like come on i bet that... if you go back and watch king kong today it will still look as good as it did in the cinema when you went to see it transformers yeah. i'm betting it doesn't i'm ben i mean like you said it's easy to make things that aren't real look good because they're not real Exactly. It's like you can make it look however the hell you want. If you want yeah. Optimus Prime to have a big shoulder because you can't render it down, cool. He's got a big shoulder now. Whereas, like for King Kong, if he's got one arm longer than the other, you'll notice. Exactly. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it always just really annoyed me that people didn't like <laughs> that movie because I'm like, this movie yeah. is good, guys. Yeah. Like, you go back and watch. Sorry, I'm going on the King Kong tangent, <laughs> but like, you go back and watch the original King Kong, and what's cool about that one and the Peter Jackson version is like, in the movie, they're making that old movie. Yeah. They're making the original movie in the movie. Yeah. And it's it's great and also jack black is playing like a dramatic character and naomi watts is freaking amazing and yeah and his love for it really shines through i watched i got like the original king kong um on dvd and there was a special feature with jackson where he's like searching or like he's he redid the lost footage there's some footage where they fall into like the the bug pit and some of them get eaten by bugs and stuff that wasn't the original and he like he added that into the original, like into his King Kong, but he also like helped kind of recreate it through storyboards. Oh, nice! And yeah. I'm like, like I can't yeah, be that... mad at someone that loves the original this much. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not yeah that in. sequence. I remember being amazing. Yeah, you know when yeah. they're getting they they fall in there and they're getting eaten by the insects is like yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that was my introduction to Naomi Watts, and then of course. You know, to me, like watching her on screen is like watching Marlon Brando or Mm. watching Sean Penn or, Mm. you know, somebody who's like fully committed Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, like she she is of that caliber. Yeah. You know, Um, and I don't know that we really talk about actresses that way and, you know, in the same way that we do male actresses at least in our culture yeah um but to me that's that's and it's weird that i have to like use a man to be like she's as great as the man (laughs) yeah (laughs) for people to understand what i mean but she's amazing um 21 grams the Mm -hmm. alejandro uh, Gonzalez in Aritu film. Mm-hmm. She's absolutely amazing. And she, it's her, Sean Penn, and Benicio del Toro. Okay. Like, it's a super depressing movie, but amazing, yeah. amazing performances. Um, she's in, uh, what is that movie? The, um, the Tsunami movie. It's like yeah, her. Yeah, The Impossible. Yeah, The Impossible with little Tom Holland. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone can every. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, I mean I don't know. I I'm I'm still just not sure if this is a good movie. I, that's yeah, just what yeah. where I'm at. I'm like, I don't yeah. I'm not qualified for this. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I need a doctor in here. You, you know? definitely are, though. I mean, it's it's not. I don't. I think that that's part of the allure of these films is that it, it messes with your head because as as a viewer, and I know that I've said this before, but you feel like you need to have everything in line when you come out. You need to know exactly what the film was trying to say for for you, you know, for it to have quote unquote worked for you. Um, now I'm, I'm I'm really trying to kind of lean into the uncomfortable and being like, it's okay if I don't really understand everything. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, I got the feeling that this is, from the very off, some of my first notes from when I was watching it was stuff like, this is very dreamlike. You know, they, they keep mentioning dreams and, and things that aren't quite working. The camera itself is kind of like floating. It, everything feels a bit kind of like... Yeah, it heightened. does. I do like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I came away from it and I was like, even if that isn't... And that's why I did the preface. I was like, even if that isn't what it's about, that's what I got from it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It just, it, it just feels a little bit like, you know, when you go to like an art show mm-hmm. and there's a painting like an abstract painting yeah you know and 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 everybody is just like talking it up and talking about all these things about it and and i'm just like it it just looks like some splashes and globs of stuff yeah you know i don't know that's what i feel like watching this movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know uh but i think um i think you kind of hit the nail on the head of like just fully accepting it. It's really hard to do that. I think in our it culture, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to approach a piece of art and, um, and just kind of like let it wash over you and see what yeah. you feel about it and like fully commit to it. Cause like yeah. it would be really hard. I think, you know, people who get into paintings, you know, they're able to kind of stand in front of the painting and then kind of almost like meditation, like let, kind of all the thoughts leave their their mind and just kind of see how the painting and like take it all in and see how it makes you feel yeah um kind of a thing we're also in a generation where every everything is like every explanation is at our fingertips yeah it's like if you don't get it someone else can explain it yeah exactly you know there's so many articles out there of like the ending of this movie explained what this movie means and it's you know i've purposefully tried to not google well, Holland Drive, I've just like looked for it in like the booklet from the Criterion, like in some magazines that I've had um, to read about it because I don't want someone else to try and like influence me in what I think <laughs> about it. If that makes sense, like I'm quite happy just having my own um, encapsulation of, of what I think, which I understand is a really bad thing to say for a podcast where we're trying to tell people what we think yeah. about it. But yeah, and um, yeah, like. It's, can we start a series of videos on our YouTube channel where it's like the ending of Mulholland Drive explained and then you click on it and it's like, decide for yourself, you fucking <laughs> idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't need explaining. <laughs> uh, I mean, it'd get people to watch. So <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, just it, it would just be like, uh, kind of like a prank videos for people to send to their friends. Yeah. To be like, oh, have you seen this video? Yeah. <laughs> we could. I mean, there's a there's a um, there's an app out there that allows short form videos that we have an account on. I don't know why I'm being around TikTok. 
it would be a good TikTok video. I don't know why I was trying to be all coy. <laughs> yeah. But the thing with TikTok is you it it doesn't uh well, I guess you could at the beginning of the video say the ending of this well, explain, yeah. you know, with that <laughs> terrible voice that they always use. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, trying to explain Mahalan Drive. <laughs> um yeah man i mean i didn't not enjoy it but yeah it is it was i don't know i wanted more of the creepiness but i think now that i know what's all there i can start trying to enjoy it more as i as i watch it a few more times yeah definitely i mean billy Um, ray cyrus cameos are always great yeah and I think, you know, there was some trivia that was David Lynch had used Wizard of Oz and Sunset Boulevard as aspirate, like inspirations for this film. And they're two films that I'm very, very familiar with. You know, so when people are referring or referencing films that that I'm very aware of, maybe that helps in the overall enjoyment because you start to, you know, pick up on those nuances subconsciously, potentially, you know. Um, yeah, I, I thought about the Wizard of Oz a little bit at the end yeah. of this movie, but not because of the movie. I was thinking about um, J- Julie Gardner. Wait, what's the actress's name? Uh, Judy Garland. Julie Gar- Garland. Julie, who will? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Julie Gard. Wait. <laughs> Julie Garden. Wait. <laughs> now I'm already forgetting the name again. Judy Garland. Judy Garland, yes. I don't know why it's like we've said it so much movie, that even I'm like, is that right? <laughs> yeah, this movie is like, no, it's Julie Gardner. <laughs> it's like flipping it around, uh, because she was, you know, abused so much on that movie, yeah. and yeah. her life was, you know, not great, mm. and you know, she was, you know, she was this Hollywood actress that was taken advantage of her whole life and, you know, did a lot of drugs and behind the scenes did not have a, a, you know, the Hollywood star life. No. Um, and, and that's why I was thinking of her at the end of the movie, because, you know, it's about ultimately about an actress who commits suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to, to get rid of her own demons, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Because, um, yeah, there's, like, right at the end, like, there, there's all these characters that have been in the movie that are, like, crowding around her until she kills herself. Yeah. So, and, but then also obvi- the other obvious thing with Wizard of Oz is, like, you know, the man behind the curtain... You know, pulling the strings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That nothing is what it seems. Being in a make-believe world. Yeah. 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 Um, There's a, a, there was a documentary, I think, that came out earlier this year called Lynch and Oz, which is kind of like a, a, a real deep dive into, a bit like Room 237, mm. um, into Lynch's relationship with Wizard of Oz and kind of how it comes across in his movies, which might be a good thing to watch maybe but then again it's someone telling you what it means yeah exactly which might not be at the end of the documentary it's just lynch lynch being like nope 
Yeah, none of that's right. <laughs> um, the one thing that I do want to talk about, which I've been thinking about a lot, is like the male gaze and how these films are made for male audiences, just yeah. in general, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the second half of this film, there's there's a lot of um, nudity and you know sexual relations between two women. Um, I watched an interview with Naomi Watts and David Lynch where he said that it was like super important for the plot to show that. And like, you know, it kind of hinged on those scenes. Um, what do you think? Because I don't know, like, I don't think all of it was warranted. I don't know if some of it was just in there because it's like two very attractive females on screen. And yeah. as a viewer, you're subconsciously like, I want to see that happen. I think if it is actually the two detectives, it's way more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe Lynch was trying to make a point with that. (laughs) And maybe that thing in the bag was like, you know, some kind of toy for them to use. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, that's a good question because it's like, watching it again the second time, I didn't realize how long it was before. Yeah. The, like, cause the nudity is not until like way later in the movie. Yeah. It's like the last hour. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, like, because it's hard to like, it, it is it important. I don't know if it is, it, it might be for, it, it might've been for the time. And even now, I mean, it might've been just to get people to like the movie. Yeah. You know, cause without yeah. that, I wonder if people would be like, eh, but you it know. also, yeah, I mean, it also shows Betty, you know, at her most vulnerable in that first scene. She's like, I love you. I love you. You know, so it shows her frame of mind towards Rita where she's like, she's like obsessed with her, really. She's like in love with her to the point where it's like. Yeah, know. I mean, yeah, it, it does help with the plot as far as like, yeah, because at the end, you know the same woman who is actually Camilla is dating the director. Mm -hmm. And then obviously her jealousy is a part of what potentially leads to her suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, so, I mean, I, you know, it probably is important for the plot as far as the love affairs and stuff goes, because that's so intertwined with Hollywood and, and sometimes what drives people over the edge to do crazy things. Um, and it's the movies, right? You go to the movies to see sex, violence, and yeah, you know, yeah. things that you don't get in <laughs> your everyday life. And so. obviously, all the sex isn't glamorous. I mean, the stuff between them is, but like, you know, there's the scene where Naomi Watts is like masturbating and mm-hmm. very like abusively to herself. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. So. You know, it's not like it, it's not like it's just, it doesn't feel like it's there just to be there. No. And I'm glad you said that because I don't, I feel, you know, on reflection, you know, when it's happening, you're like, oh, blimey, this is pretty intense. Yeah. You know, but then when you do think about the overarching, you know, the the film as a whole, it seems to warrant it. It's like, it's, it, it's needed. I know that both yeah, actors you... said that, you know, some of the scenes, those particular scenes were really hard for them to kind of film. Yeah. Which they would be, you know. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be kind of like a lot of the narrative behind the scenes is like, 
Naomi Watts found the masturbation scene really hard, and um, Laura Harron found the you know the the first love scene really hard to do as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you do feel you do feel like Naomi Watts's character really loves her. Yeah, mm-hmm. to the point where when you know when the jealousy comes in, you really feel that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, I just thought it would be interesting to to bring it up because it is, you know, such a well big part of this movie and something yeah. that a lot of people have talked about. So, um. yeah, and of course, when um, the actress who plays Rita um, Laura Herring comes on, like when she when she first, you know, when I first saw her on screen in the movie, uh, I recognized her from The Punisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> from uh, she plays John Travolta's wife, like the head mm. of the evil family, mm. um, which I've seen that movie a ton of times. Yeah, and that's like the only other thing I think I know her from. But she's also very good in the movie. She is really good. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I think obviously when you've got a film that's centered around two very strong female characters. You know, this conversation kind of leads into that because it is a very female-focused film, and I, I think yeah. apart from the sex, it's not, it's not, you know, derogatory in any way. Yeah. But is it male gazy? Well, that yeah, exactly. That's the you know, that's the question, isn't it? Yeah, because the rest of the movie doesn't necessarily feel like it except no. for those scenes. Yeah, I think when you think about it and, you know, if you're trying to portray Hollywood at its most basic, it's that the female experience was terrible. Yeah. And I think that that's the kind of, you know, you would be taken away that narrative if it was a man in either of those roles. Because, you know, men have had it a lot easier than women in the film yeah. industry. So I don't I think that it's warranted. Yeah, well there's also the scene where she auditions, right? With yeah. the older yeah. man. Like yeah. he's it like is, oh, it's, very old. Yeah. He's a good actor, but you know, the age gap is like, bro, come on. I know. Yeah. And I'm sure that was super awkward too to film. Yeah, but, I must. Oh, yeah, it it makes you feel ill. Yeah, you know that there's the, the day that that's happening, and he's like, you know, he pulls her closer, and it's it's very nauseating. But also, there's like loads of people kind of sitting around, just like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah, which is gross. Also, yeah, not that you'd want it in a private room, but the the things that he said make it sound like, you know, he's this is how he auditions. Is like. Who can give him an erection, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, at least it doesn't lean... Like, at least it doesn't try to make it seem normal. Exactly, yeah. You know. But... Yeah, I mean, what's next on the David Lynch list for you? Um. Oh, I have talked about going to rewatch The Elephant Man a few times. I watched it when I was a lot younger, 
and I haven't watched it since. So I am very tempted by that. But I'm, I know that Criterion just put out Inland Empire on 4K. So maybe that. Yeah. I have not seen The Elephant Man. Mm. I might might watch that next because I know you said it's really good and a lot of people said it's really yeah. good. But that it's also a commissioned work for him too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in terms of probability, Mulholland driving in. <laughs> yeah yeah what about yourself have you got another one that you got lined up i mean i like i said i want to watch the elephant man but i might also rewatch lost highway yeah just to be like where what what would i think Who? of this movie because i also <laughs> yeah. kind of don't remember a ton about mm-hmm. it you know so yeah i would kind of like to see how i feel about that now if i enjoy the disturbingness of it you'll have to let me know and it's yeah. got Mink Stole in it. Oh, okay. As a oh, voice, apparently. Oh, as a voice. Nice. Yeah. The She's in like a bunch of the John Waters stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, cool. Um, if there's nothing else that um, you want to bring up, do you want to guess what the other person rated this on Letterboxd? Let's do it. Cool. I'm going to say you rated it four. Out of five. Okay. I want to say that you rated it three and a half out of five. All right. You would be correct. Wow. I rated it four and a half. Oh, so wow. Full, yeah. Dang. Yeah. Nice. I felt very happy coming out of it. Not happy yeah. as in like, oh, that was a fun film, but happy as in like, I know what I felt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely going to give this movie mm-hmm. and David Lynch some more chances. And like I said earlier, like it could be that once it clicks for me, like yeah. I'm like, oh, David Lynch is the best. You yeah, know? yeah. I'm just happy because you know I know that loads of people talk about Lynch. I'm just happy that the most celebrated film worked for me in terms of mm. like on a basic level. Yeah, on a you know I haven't done much research or reading into this. Yeah, but I came away from it being like that was a good movie. Yeah, yeah. So nice. Yeah, who knows if the because I know we like we said we both felt similar to Blue Velvet, whereas like not not hundred percent. Yeah. So, but also I know a lot of people that that's like one of their favorite. Yeah, I think Zach is one of his favorites. Yeah. Yeah. So, film subjective. Yeah. That's all. Or is it? Talking of subjective films, Brandon, what are we going to be watching next week, my friend? All right. So next week, I decided to pick a film that I've seen many, many, many times, and I know you haven't seen, and I cannot yeah. wait <laughs> to see what you think about this movie. Um, it is a superhero movie, but it's not what you might think. It's Batman 1966. Awesome. <laughs> I have not seen any of the TV show or the movie. Yeah, I've I have not really seen the TV show, but I've seen the movie many, many times. Cool. And uh was a big part of my Batman world as a child. And uh yeah, I cannot wait cuz it's awesome. You know, I mean, everybody knows Batman. Everybody knows his uh catalog of villains. Yeah. And and Robin and yeah. Alfred and you know it's got everybody. Uh-huh. 
you know, and uh, but not in the way that you're used to seeing them. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll find out what Lewis thinks next week. Awesome. I'm so excited. That's going to be a really fun show. Um, that does bring us to the end of the show. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio, and you can follow us individually on Letterboxd. Brandon is at Selman Scope, and I am at WalkerLewis3007 to keep up with what we've been watching over there. And we also have all of our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms. So go ahead and leave us a rating and review. Um, we much appreciate it. It helps other people find the show and join the congregation. It would be great. Um, lastly, thank you all so much for being here and listening to the end. Um, we hope you enjoy the conversations. We enjoy having them. Um, we'd love for you to get involved. So please do send us some comments for us to keep the conversations going. Um, we'd love to hear from you. But until next week, the only thing left to say is... Yes? May I help you? Someone is in trouble. Who are you? What are you doing in Ruth's apartment? She's letting me stay here. I'm her niece. My name's Betty. No, it's not. That's not what she said. Someone is in trouble. Something bad is happening. Amen. Amen.